NFT. NFT. NFTs. NFTs. Non-fungible tokens or NFTs are exploding in popularity. This is Zen Chats. I am Zeneca. Let's talk NFTs. Hey everyone. This episode was originally recorded for my YouTube show. So just dropping a quick note to let you know that we at times might be discussing content that we're sharing on screen. And I know that that is not ideal for a podcast listener, but we recorded the videos first and then decided to turn into a podcast. So that's the situation. If you want to follow along, we will have a link to the full video in the show notes. And moving forward, I will try to avoid too much screen sharing content just for the podcast listeners. All right. Hope you enjoy nonetheless. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zen Chats, a show where I talk to real founders of real projects. I'm Zeneca and today, (laughs) this is a very special episode today. It's special because it was shot over multiple days. We had we shot about half an hour, had some technical difficulties, took a couple of day break, and then came back and shot the rest. Um, there are multiple participants. Uh, I'm talking to the team from Asteria Labs, um, which invo- uh, is includes the Darverse um, as well as the uh, ETH Aliens NFT projects. Um, and yeah, you're going to see there's going to be people moving around from one part of the screen to another and, and wearing different clothes. And honestly, it's we have a lot of fun. <laughs> we, I, I enjoyed uh, shooting this because, you know, these are my friends. I, I've known um, all the people I'm chatting to for a very long time, many, many, many months in this space, which, uh, you know, feels like years. And yeah, we go into a lot of detail behind what they're working on, um, some of the cool things that they've done in the past and their history, as well as some of the cool stuff that they have coming out soon. So. Um, I really recommend sticking uh, through this. I think it's a bit of a longer video because you know when we squish them both together, it's it's going to be long. But um, yeah, I really recommend sticking with it. It's just full of value and insight, and they just keep dropping knowledge bombs, and and we have fun. <laughs> Let's jump right in. Hello, everyone. I'm here with my friends from Asteria Labs, uh, Levi, Beef, and Zophrus. How are you? <laughs> Drop my pen. Drop my pen. <laughs> How are you all? Doing great. Good to see you. Glad to be here with you. Uh, we're, we're laughing because this is the second or even third time we're recording this. I, I stumbled the intro. I dropped my pen, but we're good now. We're good now. I mean, I'm with friends. We're in good company. So talk about Asteria Labs and like a lot more. But um, before we get into that, like let's go around a quick round of intros um, and then I'll get uh, probably you, Levi, to jump into Asteria Labs. But um, let's go, Levi, Beef, Zophorus, you know, who are you? Quick quick intros. Right on. Yeah. So so I'm Levi or Big Hat Levi on Twitter. Discord is usually what I use as my alias name. Let me take a step back, actually. A little bit about me. I was actually studying computer science last year and uh, I saw the opportunity to build um, a sort of experimental software project is the way I saw it as a portfolio piece to add to my resume um, to get into a software company. And I saw how uh, crazy the NFT space was, and I saw it as a big opportunity to do something new and sort of innovative. And so I kind of um, sat down with my brother here, Beef, and uh, a really good artist I know, and a couple other friends. We kind of buckled down for a good month and a half, and we built out Lambdas and released that in August. 
and it kind of uh, it sold out in two and a half hours, it, and it uh, really uh, went crazy in popularity. So we kind of had this situation where it turned from experimental, exploratory sort of software project into oh, now we have a, <laughs> we now we have a community to take care of, right? Uh, but that's it's funny. It's a funny story about how it started, but here we are. We're still out here and cooking, right? Um, <clears throat> so what was funny is we were able to take that experience that we got from that project. And we, uh, we later, uh, Beef and I ran into um, Art McArty. Um, I, I usually just call her Pam because that's who she is. And we launched uh, a, her project called ETH Aliens together. Uh, and then essentially we had this, this uh, we were in the scenario where like, okay, now we're just like this group of friends and now we got two projects to run. Um, and then what happened with that was a couple months later, Pam and I kind of got in a conversation. We were, we were kind of like, you know, we've built these two pretty great things together or together, but separate. And then we, we kind of had this chat and we were like, wouldn't it make more sense if we, if we actually made a company out of this and tried to try to build something like sustainable and, and great. And, uh, we all like these the sound of that. And we kind of got, we put our heads together and we came up with the theory labs. So we've been officially known as a theory lab since, um, December, actually. Um, we haven't been super loud about it yet. Um, that'll change pretty soon. We've got some cool stuff to show everybody. So that's my intro. Uh, I don't want to take the hog up spotlight too much. I'll let Beef kind of tell his narration or, or side of the story. His is pretty similar to mine. So, Beef well, and the cat. We saw your cat just jump oh. in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I don't think I'll go too long. I think Leroy told it pretty well. Uh, we started out in August. I started out with uh, a little too iffy amount of programming experience and i took this as a uh, a fantastic opportunity to get into the space and into the you know software engineering world and from there it's it's been a wild ride and i've had an absolute blast since the beginning i i look forward to just making greater and greater tech that pushes the brownies even further amazing and zophorus uh how do you come into the picture and what's your background hey that's a great question um well, I flipped a coin and I won a bet. And they're like, all right, you're in. No, it was a little different than that. <laughs> uh, I guess my background is traditionally in the tech world. I've managed different departments throughout engineering for different companies and had hands-on software engineering for a few few years myself, as well as started some of my own businesses over the years. And so for the past, past few years, I've been doing consulting and I've been able to meet a lot of great people in the NFT space, got into the NFT space about seven or eight months ago and was an original holder of both of their projects. And recently we got synced up again and I'm excited to be a part of helping grow their vision. They, they're builders, they're creators, and they're, they're here all the time. So it's, it's an exciting team for me to be a part of. Yeah, no, it, it really is. I, I also minted Lambdas way back when. I think I still have about 40 of them just from men. I was, I I loved them. They were cute. My fiance, Rachel, was like, saw them as well. And she was like, we need these. Um, And we got them. And then, yeah, there there was a lot to love. Uh, There is a lot to love. Yeah, they are cute. They're they're definitely cute. cute. They've got that factor going for them. Yeah. And, you know, cute plus, this was back before the formula cute plus PFP equals win was like no. <laughs> I think we went through a phase where people realized, oh crap, we just make a cute PFP project. It's going to do well. This was like one of the earliest, earlier versions of that. And it sold out in two and a half hours and it was off to the races. Um, 
I'm going to hand it back to you, Levi, just to, you were there. This is your project, um, or part, partly your project. Take us through, yeah, why did you decide to merge? And, and like, what does that look like in terms of yeah, so yeah, all of it? That's a good question, yeah. So we were in a scenario where the, um, so the community that we built with Lambs was, uh, if you look back at our initial roadmap, one of the things that we were really passionate about um, I was I was part of a community called uh, Boring Bananas actually a couple months ago that were really big on open source um, development and, and resources and this is where I kind of learned a lot of the specific uh, bits about the components involved in launching an NFT project. So I was pretty inspired by that sort of mindset. So I actually took that um, vision, some of the ideas over to mine as well. So one of the one of the goals on the roadmap, for example, was like. At 100% sold out, we open source our code and 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 open it up to other people that are would make me interested in taking a look at our code and going through the process themselves. So, due to the the nature of probably a lot of things, like the name itself is kind of a callback to like the Greek symbol letter lambda, mm-hmm. right, which is used pretty commonly in math and computer science. Um, we just naturally uh, brought in a sort of audience that really. Um, uh, aligned with that sort of the, the vibe I was kind of going for. So we actually brought in quite a few devs, like, and, and I'll get to this in a second, right? So with the thing with Ethalians and PEM, right, is we, she was a friend I met. Um, I met her actually before the Ethalians launch, um, but she knew, she knew me as a dev before. So we actually, uh, she brought me in for her project launch and um, she started up with her and her co-founder who was also a dev, but um, not as knowledgeable about um, some of the Web three specific stuff. Um, so, so we got in, launched the project. We were in. We we did have this period of time where the Ethalians and Lambs ran completely separate, where we kind of doing our own thing. But Pem and I were, and and uh, her co-founder, we were always in contact between each other, always throwing um, stuff at each other's ways. Whether a lot of times, um, what Pem has got really good at is a lot of. Net, she's really good at making friends and, and marketing and whatnot. Her her co-founder was was uh, handling some of the tech stuff that uh, that we were we'd be developing, and then we we kind of got into this vibe, sort of sharing resources. So if you actually look um, on the, I don't think they, I'd have to go check, but on the old Ethelians website, there was some tech for metadata changing that was actually developed by Beef first mm-hmm. uh, back when we were experimenting with some AWS stuff, um, and we never we we put a lot of work uh, well back in the day. Um, the metadata is changing stuff is on an old website. So we'll actually, you know, this is kind of like a, an alpha thing, I guess, for people that tune into this. Um, we're actually taking that same tech and plugging it into our new website. It's in that inventory tab at the top. Um, but if you if you look through some of the Ethan's history, you'll see some of the tech that we built as experimental actually ended up there first because we were just ready for it to go there first. Um, so we had this sort of sharing resources game go on for a little bit. And then we finally met up and we were like, look, um, and and then one of the things we talked about was like, okay, you have a really good, they had a really good graphic designer that could do um, contracts really well. And, um, you know, uh, some really good community resources and artists and whatnot. So, and then, and then on my side, we had mostly like good developers. So that meeting kind of went down, like you got, like we got developers, you got all these other resources that we, we kind of utilize between each other, between ourselves. And the idea of Asteria initially started as like, let's build a game together. Because mm. one of the resources that PEM has um, is actually like some top tier voxel artists. Um, if you take a look at the Vox model quality, that was actually our first idea. Like, let's form a company 
and let, let's build a blockchain game out of this. And, and uh, th- the initial idea was that sort of the voxel style for the game. And then as the, the vision progressed, it, it sort of turned from uh, a, the idea was first a partnership between two projects. And the Asteria was kind of the name of just a partnership um, with the game being like the one, like a one-time thing that we focus on. Then it kind of evolved further to, you know, we've got all these talented um, Web3 developers. Um, we're able to do a lot more here, right? So, so the idea kind of evolved into a fully-fledged company. And um, Zeneca, if you remember when we gave you that first pitch, it actually hasn't changed a whole lot from that first, um, the layout that we proposed, right? Where we have Asteria as our sort of umbrella company and we now have like the lambs and aliens kind of um so so merged is a word you could use but we still try mm-hmm. to keep them separate as sort of i like to call them the franchises or brands of Asteria mm-hmm. or the mascots you could say and then we have the other projects we do um on top of um dev shop services is kind of a common thing that's kind of where it started we wanted to be able to utilize our devs and build out projects for other people and help these other um people that came to us clients um, see their dreams to to fruition. So that's where that started. Um, so that was kind of, that's how the flow happened, right? We went from projects to the game idea to a dev shop. And now now we're at today, we're actually still kind of there, but we're also building some innovative Web3 products behind the scenes that is going to be added into our sort of, I call it the services branch of the dev shop. So a lot of stuff we're doing, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Can you can you talk about the innovative stuff you're building, or is it a bit hush hush? So, yeah, a little bit. Um, the the biggest thing right now that we're kind of offering that's sort of um, I've noticed to be pretty popular in the market is we're developing a sort of package plan of bots. Um, mm. and we'll probably see a lot more of that soon. Um, the other thing, um, Discord bots is, specifically for those who aren't familiar, yeah, <laughs> Discord and Twitter bots. Yep, it's it's a pretty good range of. Um, bot capabilities like my our guy his name's bjorn he was actually one of the founders of of lambs back in the day he was one of the original five on that team he's still mm-hmm. kicking like on Asteria. he's our dedicated bot guy he's a javascript wizard so he just goes in yeah. and, and kicks ass in javascript so you ask him to do something with bots and he's like, all right i got it i think at some <laughs> point i'll have to i'd have to ask him about this but he figured out how um so so most bots actually track sales by looking at OpenSea api and checking tracking sales mm. that way. He actually figured out how to do it straight from the chain, which was awesome. Uh, yeah. I don't I think he's had to flip-flop a couple of times because it's not the most um not the most uh, intuitive way to do it, but just the fact that he just tried it and got it working yeah. and, and we've had him we've had him experiment with a lot of things. We actually experimented with a bit a bit on uh, attempting to make our own tip CC bot, which is kind of like on the side right now. And so that's another mm. piece um but our, our goal is to able to, I like to call it a super bot. I want to be able to build like a super bot that has all a lot of the capabilities in one, make it easy for people. Because I, I think the thing is like a lot of like the bot market, um, people have to go all over the place to find different bots mm. for their needs. Whereas we're just building all these in one place and, it, and the same uniform sort of style of branding that makes things look super clean and nice as far as bots go. Um, the other thing that, uh, this one is pretty self-explanatory. It's uh, it's smart contracts. So we actually are in yeah we're in the business of developing contracts for different projects, and uh, we've gotten to the point where we've gotten pretty good at it. So we can actually make contracts that are pretty um, gas efficient, which is typically the biggest concern on people's minds when they ask for one, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of the market that we were in and we sort of evolved into. Um, 
And then there's one super big component that I'm actually probably the most excited about, but it's also a little, uh, we, we can't uh, talk about <laughs> that much. So I think Zofris, Zofris knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I I also just wanted to back it up a little bit and say, you know, with everything that we have going on, there's there's a lot of potential moving forward for other franchises or child brands, as he's as he put. And I think to really break it down, he was so excited to find the resources that he found in Boring Bananas. And I think a lot of us were. I actually came through there as well. My initial exposure to NFT world was through all of the news media on the Weird Whales, I believe it was. The Bonobi, Obi-Wan Bonobi and all of his coding. (laughs) 14-year-old kid or 12-year-old kid. And that's what really intrigued me and brought me in there. And when they open sourced a lot of their code, as soon as the lamps sold out, and and now turning that into a dev shop, they found that a lot of people were overcharging, honestly, for basic mm. smart contract sources and other services that we provide because nobody knows what to ask for, right? I've countless times I've seen on Twitter people are saying, Oh, if I if I could only find a web three dev who knew Solidity, it would save mm-hmm. today. You know, everybody's looking for one. And they were charging insane amounts of money. We're talking sometimes $100,000 just to write a contract. And so we can provide a service for people that not only is professional, but also gas optimized. So it's cheaper for their clients and their users to go through and use it. And that's just one of many of the services that Asteria provides. Okay. And we're back (laughs) with (laughs) new locations, new clothes, that was the longest intermission I've ever done for a YouTube uh, recording so far. Uh, basically, we had technical difficulties and then more technical difficulties and then more technical difficulties. And so, some rain. And some rain. Yeah, some weather difficulties. Uh, battery issue. Yeah, we just, we call it time of death. So we, we recorded a bunch and then obviously now we're recording the rest. So uh, picking up kind of where we left off, I think we were talking about the, the Voxel viewer and... You, I think Levi had some interesting insights. Uh, can't remember what, how you said it, like OpenSea's dirty little secret or something. Yeah, yeah, the little teaser. I, first of all, I wanted to say how ironic it is that we have three technical-minded uh, people here, you know, that, that work in Asteria, having all these technical issues. So it's kind of, uh, I don't know what you, I don't know what you would call that, even just uh, irony, right? So. Yeah. So, so something that people don't understand about OpenSea is what it really is, is it's like this, this, this piece of software that just gives you a different way of looking at NFT collections. So obviously the NFT collections are on the blockchain. Um, OpenSea doesn't actually own these or like they don't live on OpenSea to any extent, right? OpenSea is just a sort of helper to let Mm. you see what's already there. Um, and one of the things that one of the big things that we can really thank OpenSea for is sort of standardizing what, um, you know, an API, like what should we be putting? Like when you look at the metadata, there's a certain structure to it. So and then like people have to abide by that if they want their collection to show up due to OpenSea's the way it works. Right. And there's one field in this <clears throat> in the metadata set up by OpenSea that's called the animation URL. So to give you a little bit of context. Um, if you were to go into the Lambda's metadata, you'd see like attributes, traits, and then we have like rarity, like tier. Um, and then there's like the standard ones too for like, like what, where do I pull the image for the NFT? Where do I pull the name? You know, there's a hidden one called animation URL. 
And you can basically point this at an other website and show whatever you want. So what we did, when we realized this trick, we actually saw this happen um, in two scenarios first. We saw how the Kongs did it with theirs. We also saw how a collection called Blaze Cats did it with theirs as well. Both collections did the same thing, just differently. So the Cyber Kongs redirect to a website they set up just for um, 3D model interact, 3D you know Vox model interaction that I'm sure everybody has seen now. And the Blaze Cats did it in a way where they pointed at a different website also, but that website was set up differently. So instead, you get this 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 NFT where that you can interact with, and you press buttons, mm. which is the NFT. That's because that in it that NFT in and of itself is pointing to a different website to do that stuff for you. Hmm, kind of kind of like an iframe when yep. in the traditional Web two programming. Yep, and that's the dirty little secret because once you realize that the animation URL can be used for whatever you want, you can point it at whatever and do whatever, and that. That is kind of the secret. So, like when you look at NFTs that are interactable, like those NFTs with the games mm. inside, that's a, those are the NFTs that are pointing to different websites to house whatever it is that they do. Um, same, yeah, like yeah. There's a lot you can do with this. So, and I think more and more people are catching on. Um, we mm. recently did it ourselves. Both we we actually pulled the, the two styles that I kind of outlined. We pulled off our own voxel viewer that we built from scratch um, from on a different website using that same sort of animation URL trick. And we also did the aliens dual metadata in the same fashion. So that's the interesting part. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to give it to Beef a little bit to maybe go into how he set up the website for that Voxer, though, because that in and of itself was a process. Yeah, that'll be fun. And then we'll circle back around. I think it'd be good to talk more about that dual or dynamic metadata as well. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So we actually started out with the Vox viewer first for the ETH aliens since the dual metadata was in the future. Um, so the, the Vox Bureau was a very interesting uh, project, honestly. It's, it kind of started out, obviously, via, uh, Kong's VX inspired, and we thought, okay, well, it'd be pretty awesome to have our own collection. And I mean, look at the Alien Vox collection. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Um, but we had many, many challenges along the way. Uh, I actually soloed that whole project from the ground up, um, and I didn't have much for 3JS. Um, really experience because that that's what it is. It uses something called 3JS and WebGL to uh, show the models on screen. It actually uses uh, your GPU or your graphics card to actually help and assist to display those. Because in normal traditional <coughs> Web two or um, older methods, it would use something like your RAM or your CPU to kind of display those, and that would just be a horrible process. It would be very very framey it'd be very just just not a great uh user think like think like halo one lag that was (laughs) that's how bad it is super laggy horrible but then all of a sudden webgl comes along and 3js and react 3 fiber and it's these very very uh nice libraries to sort of connect uh your your graphics card to web browser so it kind of brings that that uh that kind of gaming experience even Mm. to web browser which is super user intuitive and very easy uh, easy to get into for the user so without getting super technical it's basically it, it accepts a number or a token id throughout the the website or the uh query params at the top so you can input a little number at the top and depending on the metadata it'll point to that specific url with that specific uh number appended to the url and it it tracks that query param and it sees what it is. It finds the adjacent file 
or the GLTF it's called. It's a model file and it displays it. It's not super crazy. Obviously, there's a lot of other bells and whistles that we did for the uh, Vox viewers, such as the animations, background changer, the pause and play, which are all deeply embedded within the 3JS sort of interactivity and library. But it, it, was a, it was a very fun experience. And using 3JS, I think, will bring a whole new level of interactivity to NFTs and a lot of things in general. Yeah, on the forefront of the technology, definitely. Exactly. It sounds like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? When Trevor touched on, he he, you probably heard him say JS a couple of times. Another uh, interesting trick when it comes to a lot of uh, Web three tech is that it, that uh, suffix is actually used to um, refer to a JavaScript library. So you've probably no doubt heard about things like React JS and uh, I think Vue JS and. Uh, Next.js. Um, there's a bunch of different JavaScript libraries that we can pull from to use specific uh, functionalities to pull into and do whatever, do whatever we want with them. And frankly, that's something that we as Asteria, um, <clears throat> there's a lot there. There is a lot there. Like Trevor, out of all the libraries that you fiddled with, could you give me an estimate on maybe how many are out there that are kind of specific or kind of core circling around web three and how many you're sort of uh, uh, you've actually yourself dove into and sort of familiar with. I'd say probably close to 10, 15. Yeah. Core sort of very specific libraries. Obviously your big ones are going to be something like a, uh, a web three sort of connectivity. So, sort of like web three JS or ethers JS, obviously you can have something like react JS, which is amazing for just, all around web development. There's some other things that you can throw in. Like um, I, I use something called Node.js for a lot of my backend development, which is great for like um, like contract or token uh, querying just to find addresses and holders. And that's actually what I write my um, screenshot or my snapshots. In. So mm. it's yeah. very, very nice. Something super interesting that I think you'll appreciate, Zeneca, because you've visited quite a def- quite a few project websites and you've seen the Mint page. So mm-hmm. a lot of these these web interfaces have to use these JavaScript libraries to get that sort of Web three functionality to work right. Um, most projects, I believe, it's the Web three JavaScript library that allows for the wallet connection, right, Trevor? Yep. Web three or Ethers. Yep. Web three and Ethers both have kind of a crap way of tracking um, token supply. So you may have noticed mm-hmm. when you go to the mint page and it's like you got all the web three stuff, but the the mint like when a project is minting, you have to refresh to get the thing to update the number. Yeah. And even then it's like the best way is you just look at Etherscan for the actual the contract because Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and that's because of these two JavaScript libraries are like they're, they're terrible at it. Whereas Trevor has actually figured out, um, I believe what did you say? It was a a different JavaScript library that had a better, uh, more intricate API attached to it that actually reads the the token supply in real time. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pass it to you in a second if you want to talk about that. But yeah. that's the interesting bit because you can mix and match these things, and a lot of developers don't. I mean, they know it, but like they they know they only know the basics. Like, okay, I know Web three JS, I know um, Ethers JS, I know enough to get the Mint to work. Mm. But for every project, the priority should be the user experience and mm-hmm. things like that, where knowing that there's a separate library with a better API to that you could use to enhance the user experience 
Mm-hmm. That's where we need to go next, I think, with a lot of these things. I think a lot of it is kind of what you were saying. People only know these specific libraries, but they only know those because there's a lot of, unfortunately, uh, smart contract developers in the Web3 space right now. They're really inexperienced and they are finding public repositories on GitHub and they're copy pasting, changing a few values. And even with the websites, uh, there was a client that we had earlier that came to us after they had a developer kind of go rogue and was trying to ransom. (laughs) They wanted some Ethereum in exchange for getting access to their website and the rest of their metadata. They threatened to delete it, basically. And jumping into the code and looking at it, I saw leftover code snippets and even images that had been generated from over four different collections that were contributing to the SEO of these other collections websites because somebody got smart and they're like, if I put stuff to reference my website and then publish it where everybody's (laughs) copy pasting stuff, then it will help up my SEO rankings in Google. And so I first step obviously was go clean out anything from anybody else, but there's, there's so many problems with web three development in general that a lot of that's the reason why, you know, Levi and beef originally came together and were like, let's be honest developers and let's make some services that people can, can use. And also let's not charge $200,000 to write a smart contract, right? Like there's a lot better ways that we can change, change the game going forward for people because what's happening as we've all seen in the space is people were hiring these developers that they've never heard of or getting work from random contract workers and then come mint day and there's so many problems and Mm. whether there's a contract exploit or you're charging all of your potential investors into your nft project way more money than they need for doing a gas transaction simple things like that there's a lot of areas that Asteria is able to improve on, and that's kind of part of the vision behind all of it in offering this services branch to help reach out to other projects and and give them something affordable that's honest and reliable. And that's where a lot of the, you know, there's definitely pros and cons to an open source sort of learning environment, because that's what, that's kind of what a lot of the, the Ethereum blockchain, you know, Solidity language in general, right? open source is such a big component of it because you can just go and you can read the code and copy paste it and you might have a you might have a contract that works but it's just like what Zophers was saying there's an awful lot of cowboy coders i like to call them in the space that don't really know what they're doing and it's uh it could be hard spot to the untrained eye it definitely can um and it's another thing that i like that Zophers said is how um we've had to evolve um over the last however many months as the market conditions change, like it's actually funny how things affected themselves. We almost cannibalized ourselves a little bit because the board apes launched this massive market trend in NFTs, right? And due to the nature of Ethereum, um, if you have too much activity on Ethereum, it makes things more expensive, right? Because yeah. gas fees, um, you know, it, it's kind of like train cars, right? And only only a certain amount of passengers can fit per train car, so. What happened was we had this huge surge in NFTs and all these really like these contracts are actually pretty bad, not going to lie. Um, a lot of extra components that made these smart contracts extra gassy and extra heavy to do like computational work from um, these 
bad smart contracts were filling up all the cars. And that's mm. why we went from in August, you know, even when the market was still kind of in this heat up phase where the train cars could handle it. And we were still sitting in the 20, 20 gray environments. But then all of a sudden yeah. we had all these people coming in like, oh man, let's copy paste these contracts and do our own projects. And all of a sudden we've, we've got hundreds and hundreds of shitty smart contracts mm. trying to get all their transaction of these little predetermined size train cars and that's why the gas environment, the, the, the environment of the entire game changed because of that. So we had to get smarter. We had to get in and notice that these standards of what we're dealing with are actually not that great. Mm. So if you look at, if you take your time and you look at some of these older contracts from probably August, September, October, you know, that, that range, I'm just going to say October and beforehand when we were in kind of those low grade ways, low grade mm. days, um, <laughs> Those are kind of, I, I like to call them legacy contracts because somewhere along the way, we had all these people participating in the market. It was kind of saturating with these crap contracts that were flooding the market and causing congestion, basically, with way prices rising. Mm. Um, we had some people go in and realize there were chunks of these crap contracts that we could keep cut out. And that was how we had, we had sort of this market phase where everybody was excited about, you know, low gas. And now we've, the market has now evolved to, I call these the modern contracts. We've the market has evolved to and moved more towards a new standard that involves cutting out some of these computationally heavy components of these contracts to a better, um, you know, uh, a better contract, right? So, like, I'll just give an example. It's a basic example, but in a lot of the contracts, there's functions, there's code that executes that loops over the same thing again and again and again and again and again. Yep. And so as, if you run any program on your computer that's taking a long time, that's heavy, that's, it will cause it to lag. And obviously that's what causes you know, the network congestion with high gas fees and make it hard for people to get through. But you can do simple things like check if something exists before you loop or mm. any, any sort of stopgap in place to add extra logic and reduce code and reduce functionality that's not necessarily needed because like Levi was saying, we were in the legacy contract era and now as we're moving into this modern contract era, we expect a lot more and we hope that other people expect a lot more out of their developers. And if all they're able to do is copy paste a contract and change a few values, you should go with somebody else. And (laughs) if you're worried about sometimes concerns we hear are, well, they told me that, you know, I would, I could only pay this much X amount up front, and then the rest I could pay if we had a successful mint. Um, well, newsflash: even Nasteria Labs is willing to negotiate with people and take it a situation by situation basis, right? Some some people would rather pay up front and see exactly what they're getting and delivered, and other people have specific situations. So you can go with something that's trusted. You can go with something that has people that can actually read the solidity code and write custom. Code when needed, and it it makes a huge huge difference. So in the in the past, uh, I've ran teams and had junior developers on those teams before, and mid level and senior senior level developers. And there's a huge difference just in the natural understanding of how the flow works in code when you have a junior developer to a senior developer, and a lot of the time a senior developer is is more gritty. But a junior developer is more task focused. A junior developer is saying, 
what boxes do I need to check to finish this job and move on to my next job? And we're seeing that a lot in Web3 right now. And so there's a flood of these junior developers, whereas this, the more senior approach is, let's look at this and think, what is best for my client? What is best for the customer? And what do we really need and what do we not need? And it's not about checking boxes. Instead, it's about fitting the situation. Yep. That's actually why, like, to kind of wrap that up and just give it into like a, an example scenario that kind of would resonate with you um, a little more and, and to the more the com- the user, right? Um, you've probably noticed that older collections are more expensive to do a transfer on than mm. newer collections. This is because both contracts in this scenario have the same trans- transfer functionality, but the older contracts, there's a lot more on-chain checking that has to happen before the transfer can happen. And because there's extra steps in that on-chain component, the gas is going to be higher because that's more yeah. computational work that has to happen in the contract before it can get transferred. Whereas the new one, it's like, okay, you want to transfer the token? Uh, okay, got you covered. Whereas in the last one, you know, if we're, if we're going to take like the train car example, and there are like these attendants at the train car, in the old contract, the guy is going to have to like look through this huge list first before he can let your transaction go. Mm. So just a lot more to have to sift through. That we've able to that we've been able to to cut out um, in this newer sort of version, this newer standard we're getting comfortable with. Yeah, we're really it's uh, it's innovation. Like people are just getting smarter and getting better at, at and, and it's sort of in a lot of ways born out of necessity. Like a lot of innovation was like gas spiked so much in um, because it wasn't really an issue like early last year, even towards the middle of last year. It was like people would all right, the contract works fine. It's like you know people are minting anyway. But then we got to this point where there were lots of projects. Gas was really high. People didn't want to mint. And then so the devs were like, well, how can we get people to mint? Well, let's have a look at the contracts. Oh, actually, we don't need that. We, we can do better with that. Um, I minted some NFTs a week or two ago. It cost me $1.73 per NFT in gas to mint, which is just like... Amazing. You know, that, that's, we're getting to mainstream adoption levels there. Like it, it's For the longest time, people were like, or oh, NFTs will have to go mainstream. It costs twenty, fifty dollars to buy one. A dollar seventy, you can sell an NFT for ten bucks, fifteen bucks, and it's like, all right, you pay pay a dollar or two in gas. That's that's fine. Um, Especially yeah, when you get into like the, I was looking into an NFT ticket um, company that was handling ticketing for different events and services and stuff mm. like that. Like, why would I want to pay for a ticket and then pay another three hundred dollars on top of that just right. to purchase the NFT? And so I think for those who aren't familiar with the NFT Web3 space or listening to this, there's a, a classic slang term that we like to say, devs do something. And in this case, <laughs> devs did something because yeah. we, were, we were sick of the issues that we had. The sad part, though, about all this is the only way to fix older smart contracts, i.e. older projects with older collections to get them to a more modern um, way of working is that requires a migration which Mm. sucks which sucks so that's still one problem that has not really been solved because yeah like that whole process um i've seen a couple projects straight up like shoot themselves in the foot just by attempting it to move to a Mm. healthier contract like because you have to get everybody to do it the migration thing so yeah it's definitely one pain point in the space that frankly i for one am not sure how to solve yet so I mean, I guess the older contracts, most of them will just exist on these so-called legacy contracts and it will just cost more gas to transfer them. And 
it's just like hopefully going forward, it seems like by now all the devs have cottoned on to these new contracts and these new optimization techniques. So it's rare. Actually, I can't even remember the last time I minted something and it was like a lot in gas. It's just like become the normal now where it's like a lot more reasonable, which is, again, just amazing to see and uh, a sign of how early we are. Like last year, it was just, I think because everyone was working on so many different things at once, no one really thought, let's see if we can optimize. It was just like, yeah, all right, let, let's launch the collection. Let, let's launch companions, another one. Let's do breeding. Let's do tokens. And it's just like, you come back to the basics. It was like, oh, we could have optimized just the very first thing from the beginning. And it, it didn't really dawn on too many people until obviously it did. Yeah. Um, it's and almost like yeah. a way of filtering the NFT projects for me, honestly. Like, I have a pretty strict filter system before I'll get involved in an NFT project at this point. And mm-hmm. sometimes I miss something. And that what slides through is not looking at their contract. And that's usually one of the things that is towards the end of my list because they have to check a lot of boxes to even get there. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it can get overlooked easily. But then I go to Mint and I'm like, how much is this? Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, now you've just triggered me. I'm going to go look at your contract. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes I won't even end up minting it because of other things that you find there. Yeah, yeah. It, It's almost the double-edged sword of Ethereum and Solidity and smart contracts is the fact that, yes, it's great because you can just push that code out there and now it can work by itself and nobody can do anything about it anymore. But at the same time, it's like, oh no, we can't do anything about it anymore. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is what it is. Yep. Yeah. That's another thing when it comes to like optimization as well is like optimization for smart contracts. It 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 takes a lot of um what standards like Open Zeppelin did with ERC seven twenty one. It created a standard. It created modularity for the whole thing. But with modularity comes uh, not only complexity, but a it it has to fit a lot of things. But with a lot of things, you have a lot of fluff included Mm. with it. So by removing that fluff, you have to know what's fluff and what you actually need. Right. Good point. That's that's sometimes the hard part. Yeah. And that's that's the scary part. That's Mm -hmm. the scary part, too. Like, I remember back when we were, um, I know we we all had sort of our heads um, in in the ground, so to speak, looking at all this as it was happening. And people were scared, like. You know, um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name one library in particular that there's been a huge fuss about. I'm sure you've heard about it, no doubt. I'm sure you've heard about the Azuki ERC 721A that mm-hmm. has sort of been popularized. The two libraries in question are called ERC 721 and ERC 721 Enumerable. And Enumerable mm. is the one that people get mad about because that's the one that has all these extra on-chain mappings and checks that has mm. to happen for like transfers and things of that, like basic core functionalities to occur. And people Mm. were worried that if we take all these mappings and checks out, what's going to happen? So I remember at the time it was super risky and kind of scary. Yeah, It's like, what if that's functionality we need later for something else? Yeah, I mean, that's like, because ERC721 had worked for years, literally, and people, it was so tried and tested that when you go and change something, it's like, you never know what you're, and we still don't know. Like, I mean, who knows if in six months someone comes along and goes, oh, it would be great if we had the innumerable contract stuff still in there because of all this new stuff that we want to do. Um, I, I certainly don't know. I'm not even close to a dev. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll see as time goes on. I mean, certainly the last few months has been positive for these new contract changes. I don't think anyone has really bemoaned uh, them yet. That's, yeah. I, I Although you say you're not 
a dev or close to a dev. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I think at least probably 60% of the people in the NFT space have no idea that you can mint from a contract in a lot of cases or how to do it. And I've read some of your stuff. I'm pretty sure that you know how to do that. So <laughs> you're heading right, in the right I'm, direction. I'm, I'm dev adjacent. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. You, would, uh, you would get a hoodie if we had a club. You'd get a hoodie. Yeah. Nice. It, it, it is a it is a very worrying amount of people that are here that actually have like a zero percent, maybe even a negative percent idea of what is like mm-hmm. actually happening here. It's very worrying. And it's also kind of ties back to like, you know, the nature of Web3 and how confusing and overwhelming it is. And and, and us, you know, if to get an option um, to make sure people understand kind of what they're getting into. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to like touch on what we were just talking about, too, what's funny is um the the airdrop that we did back in January. What I was what I was impressed with uh, with you, Zeneca, was we kind of like um, for context. Trevor developed this the smart contract that lets you um, mint a bunch of NFTs and then s- distribute them to a mass amount of addresses, which we have our own contract for. I remember Trevor kind of like um, what do we did we we basically gave Zeneca the code. We're like here you go, and he was like sweet, deployed <laughs> like, it and like used it himself and everything. We're just like oh man, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. At least it was on, so it was on the Polygon network. So I knew that if I screwed up, I'm not out like an ETH in gas. It's like maybe I'm out $20 or $10 or $5. And uh, yeah. 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 You really only had like one or two issues that were not too bad anyways. Just MetaMask kind of random issues that was going on that day. But but yeah. You think about about how many people are even scared just to go to EtherScan. Exactly. Look at stuff. Yeah. I was just going to say, as more people understand kind of the basics of what's actually happening in the Web3 space, either the more confident they'll be to make decisions or the more interested they'll be to really Mm. dig in and find out what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's truly fascinating, honestly. Just the more you understand it, like it's like it opens up this whole new world. And yes, it is complicated and nuanced and technical, but it like gets easier as the time goes on, like with anything, as you learn it, like the the complexity starts to fade away a little bit. and yeah, like when I launched Zen Academy, uh, I deployed the contracts because, I mean, I wanted to own the keys and all that kind of stuff. So again, I had devs helping me and, and they obviously wrote the entire thing. But when it came to actually launching it, launching it, I had to do that myself. And, and that was just, I mean, that's such a cool experience and, and very terrifying thing to do. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, all right, you're going to copy paste the code. All right. And then you, like it. I, I can't look through it at its final state. I just have to hope that the stuff that I'm copy pasting is, is all legit. And then, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they took you through some good test runs before. Oh, yeah. It was tested so much. Like, I had like three, four, five devs, like, aside from the two main devs working on it, just come in and test and audit and look it over. And yeah, it got changed a few times, but uh, yeah, all worked out. It's a very, very basic contract for Zen Academy, but we're getting off topic now. Um, <laughs> Let's bring it's, it back to uh, Asteria and the services. So, I mean, in, in terms of like it, Asteria, as, as we mentioned, is this, you know, platform that offers uh, like services to people who might need them in the Web3 space, whether it's smart contract help, dev help, Discord bots. The thing about tech and engineering is, is I think people get excited and share ideas too quick, which for good reason. Like this stuff is super mm. exciting, especially like, especially what we're working on. Like I get hyped about this stuff every day. Um, but then it's kind of, you take a step back and you think like, okay, you know, once we put this code out there, we can't change it. So it's kind of like yeah. we have a proof of concept, but 
in this world that we work in, there's probably has to be twice as much prep time to make sure that when we deploy this thing, we don't screw everybody over. You know, the mm. security concerns are immense for something that you're innovating on, right? Like for smart contracts, you can take solace in the fact that, you know, if <laughs> if some guy with an exploit comes along and screws you over on, on like a basic NFT collection smart contract, well, it's like, well, I wasn't the only guy that screwed up. Like, I guess everybody mm. else screwed up, screwed now too, right? But in a scenario where you're innovating and you yourself mm. are pushing out your own custom code and everything, yeah. somebody finds an exploit, it's on you. Yeah. It's a different game. Yeah, we we have some uh, business-to-business B2B products that we're, we are working on. Got some really cool partnerships that we're talking to and really excited about. And as far as our services branch go, even there, we have some clients that... I mean, due to NDA, we can't really say who they are at this point, but we've made a lot of uh, technology for them and they've had millions of dollars in revenue and volume. And they've, they've really gone through the ringer with the services that we have to offer. So mm. we're, we're very confident in our ability to have a strong dev team moving forward with our business to business products because there's a great need for that in the NFT space and we feel like we have a really good solution. Yeah. It totally I think, is. Yeah. I think you'd be surprised then of how how short the supply is for good like solidity web three devs in the space. Oh I'm I'm familiar. You might have a good idea. You might have a good idea. Right? <laughs> there's there's a lot of cowboy coders that can give you a copy paste launch contract. Mm. And you got all these projects that have these roadmaps you gotta deliver on. Well, then your cowboy coders aren't very good for those roadmaps anymore. Yeah. They're not engineers. So then it's like you have these big projects that got started because their marketing effort was really good, but maybe they all they had for a dev was a copy paste. So now they're kind of down shit's creek and they got to mm. look for like that's that's kind of the, the scenario that I think we've sort of been dealing with. And I, frankly, probably most dev shops do deal with is big clients coming to them and realizing, oh, oh, you guys need dev help. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, one of those deals just because we're in that phase of the market where it's just such new tech and, and people that know what they're doing really well are just in such short supply. And as time so goes crazy. on, yeah, as time goes on and the market matures and more and more people embrace what this is and, and pick up things and are more comfortable with, with dealing some of the, the scary, you know, the scary nature of a lot of these components, um, it, it'll get better. But for now, there's definitely a shortage and that's the business we're in. And so that's mm-hmm. why it's also why one of my sayings is, um, I actually don't see a lot of these dev shops as competitors, even though they technically mm. are. We're all full. Like on yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. yeah uh, you, bring up, you bring up some really good points there. I think that uh, number one, as we look back over the last six to eight months, like you said, people hired development to come in and build out their initial smart contract. And now they're at this point where the ones who are winning, the ones who are still building, the ones who are still working hard, were trying to at least, even if maybe they didn't even sell out their mint over the last few months, but they're still building, they're still trying. They have this need for developers that not only understand Web3 tech, but also understand like NFT culture and ways to interact with people. And they, they're looking for more of a long-term relationship that's, affordable and not crazy prices that yeah. a lot of these random contractors are charging for smart contracts. And so I think I think we're positioned in a really, really good spot and we're excited to help people out. Yeah, 
I think when it comes to, yeah, like innovating and doing like cutting edge stuff or anything new or even just keeping up with what other people are innovating um, and like making sure that it's right, that's where there's the extreme shortage of devs. And it's like, I mean, I, I've been in this space for a year and like very, very, very in it for the last, I don't know, six, eight months. I, I feel well connected. I know maybe 20 really good devs and they're all completely busy and like booked out for so far. And like, you know, someone comes to me and asks, you know, do you know a dev? I'm like, yes, but, <laughs> and then, then I'll, I'll go and ask a couple and, and I know that they're busy. So my, my, my new question is, do you know someone else who you vouch for? Because I, I trust them and I know that they're really good. And if they say this other person is really good, then I'm like, all right, I, I'm happy to recommend them to someone. But um, yeah, we're, we're seeing more and more uh, dev shops and uh, platforms pop up that can really help people more on the ground. Like rather than an individual one-on-one dev type thing, you, you have uh, an in-house full, like, full service type thing, which I think is needed in this space. Yeah. How let's say someone's watching or listening to this and they're like, "Oh, I have an idea. I want to launch a project, or I've launched a project. I need help. What's the best way to like get in touch with Asteria?" Yeah, the most straightforward way is to DM our Twitter at Asteria Labs. Pretty simple. Um, we actually just opened up a public Discord for people to join and um, open up tickets. So that's kind mm-hmm. of. That that's, that's probably well. sec- that's probably secondary, right? Like that's that's still kind of being built, and mm. we still have to figure that out in a way that makes sense to us and, and to the people that come in, right? Mm. Um, and the third thing too is our website that we're building too, which is also in progress. So those are probably the three main routes. Um, other than that, yeah, um, Pam is kind of our uh, she she oftentimes acts as the first point of contact too, because people mm. hear about Hysteria and they see she in, she's involved and they reach out to her. So that's another thing. Um, but you know, ideally, moving forward, we get to the point where you know, Twitter, Discord, and, and website will will yeah. have will have avenues of people uh, of methods for people to reach us to get services done. Yeah. yeah, and probably by the time this comes out, we'll have the customer acquisition flow set up really nice for mm. people in Discord, so they can go in and request for help and see an idea of our services, and we'll we'll more than likely move forward with. Discord heavy from there, but who knows? Yeah. You know, we saw Twitter communities coming out. That was a feature that was announced recently and has been been uh, making the rounds in beta. And so maybe we'll move yeah. to Twitter communities. So yeah. you got to keep up we'll with, the, with the flow and the network. You really do. Right? Um, we'll put links to all of those in the description below. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, not difficult to get in touch with you, <laughs> is what I'm hearing. It's, it's, it's just join the Discord, DM on Twitter, um, or DM and- any of us. On Twitter yeah, and as well, yeah. and we can make it work. So awesome! Uh, I want to go to Project Empyrean now because that's something we've chatted about a bit. Uh, what can you say? What is Project Empyrean? <clears throat> well, our our teaser just launched. If this comes out, when I think it will. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, this one might be a little bit of a disappointment, I think, just because we well, not to, <laughs> not to us, not to us. But it's kind of like you really, really setting expectations here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big uh, believer in the whole under promise over deliver mm-hmm. type mindset. Me too. So, so very clearly. Of, <laughs> yeah, as of today, there's not a whole lot I feel comfortable sharing about Project mm-hmm. Empyrean, but it it is like um, I can talk about the mindset a little bit and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so so a lot of the way that I think about the market and NFTs in general as as tech is if I were to give it if I were to encapsulate everything in one sense. I would say NFTs are really cool tech 
that are abused and misunderstood in today's world, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is a common this is a common thing that we get into um, where people start talking about utility and value, and you know it's it's definitely the the, the way that we're, we're the avenues that we're moving into, right? But I still think we're a little bit on the wrong track. See, the problem is, and I'm just going to use where NFTs would make the most sense in today's world. So games like League of Legends and Fortnite and Counter-Strike Global Offensive, they are a primary product, right? Now, in those games, they are free to play and they have all of these in-game items and cosmetics and aesthetic aesthetics that you pay for, right? And these free-to-play games are some of the most profitable things in the industry, right? Now, why is that, right? Because people are buying the skins and the aesthetics and cosmetics, right? Because it gives them an opportunity to represent themselves in something that they enjoy, right? So if the game is the primary product and the skins and everything else is the secondary component, well, I mean, we're all here. We all know what digital assets mean and what they stand for. It's a very clear plugin to be a secondary component. So the big irrationality of the market is, you know, I just suggested a scenario that would work for NFTs going forward like this. In today's market, it's like this where people are getting super, super excited about this new tech that we're almost backwards. Like people, people are valuing like the skin, so to speak, over any actual product that does something, right? Mm. And so when we get into the argument of utility and value, frankly, there's a lot of empty projects that have it backwards. And I would say it for ourselves too, just because building out these things that people actually want to be a part of is tough. It's very tough. Like building actual tangible things of value takes a long time. So, and just to like deliver that in a slightly different way, like, and and the reason why it makes sense to me, why, you know, somebody new would come to NFTs and be like, why would you like, why, you know, it doesn't make sense because if we were to apply this to a web two scenario, like why would I buy counter-strike skins if I don't like counter-strike? Right. And that's why we need that in order to get to there, we need to, like move it from here back to here where it makes sense, where there's a primary product that is trying to solve a problem or, or do something that has a, like entertainment value or educational value or whatever. Right. Um, versus like, you know, another analogy I like to use is the, the house thing, right? Um, we've got like these really shit houses in the NFT market and we've got a lot of like fancy golden doorknob salesmen. Mm. <laughs> The, like the doorknobs are essential, right? You need them to open yeah. the door to your houses and stuff, but they are a secondary component to what is the primary thing, i.e. the house. Yeah. Um, so when I talk about, you know, um, Project Empyrean, that is one of the things we want to do to add to the sort of primary value that we can offer. Like it's, it's part of the big house that we're building to allow our NFTs to be that secondary component. We want to take our NFTs actually out of the spotlight and put them mm. in a place where they can actually shine long-term in a way that makes sense. So if I'm hearing this correctly, Project Imperium is going to be bigger than Fortnite. Is that... <laughs> are you going on the record? <laughs> is, is that... <laughs> um, no, but I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, make a, make a fun game, make a fun product, make a valuable product. It could be education, it could be something. Um, and then everything else comes after that, can be built on top of that. But don't... Just broke my pen. Um, don't, don't buy um, houses. Yes, there you go. Don't buy, don't buy crap houses. Don't, don't just 
like take a step back and try to have perspective yes, yeah. on what's actually yeah. happening. I think I think the goal of NF every NFT project right now is to get to a point where they're not even known as NFT projects anymore. Uh-huh. They are. I hope business. so. I, I hope they so. are a business with Web three components that make life better and easier, right? Because mm-hmm. if we if we take another step back and see, like, um, I have a friend Brian who plays League of Legends a ton, and he he's had this issue where he has like all the skins in the game, right? But, you know, number one, he doesn't doesn't actually own them. And number two, if he started a new account or whatever to fix his MMR because their systems are broke, he can't transfer his skins, Mm. you know. And that right there is the thing where NFTs can slot right in and make things easier and better Mm -hmm. for people. 100%. I think as part of Asteria in general, if we circle back to some of the, the value proposition and ideas that we have, uh, apart from the development services that we offer in the future B2B products that are coming out, uh, a lot of people, if they haven't seen our, our recent announcements um, by the time this comes out, Asteria is a, um, essentially a merger, a parent company, a parent mm-hmm. company of ETH Aliens and also of the Doverse, which includes the Lambdas and our upcoming Lambs PX. And the ETH aliens also has like their their voxels and there's baby aliens mm-hmm. and the dynamic metadata. There's all sorts of cool tech that we have going forward. And so then people, yeah, exactly. There's a yeah. big tree. And then when you come back, people say, okay, well, <laughs> give me a little bit more on the why. Well, we have such strong communities that we, what, what would you do with any community that you have? You want to give them lots of opportunity to enjoy being a community. So we've done things such as purchasing integrations into upcoming gaming platforms where for a small amount, a small investment of time or resources on our part, we're able to give back to the community in other ways and other platforms that they can also play. So then it becomes, they come into the Discord or wherever our our community is hosted at that time and they can say, hey, Monday nights we're doing uh, League of Legends, right? And then Tuesday nights, you can use your NFT in Beyond Earth or Wednesday nights, you can use your NFT in NFT Worlds platform that we've built out these custom worlds. Or Wednesday, you can go to World Wide Web and jump into the apartment we have there and play pixelated games. And so there's a whole bunch of different options that we're trying to provide for our community members because we recognize that it's not one size fits all in a business or a brand. And so as we're evolving from an NFT project to a a tree of NFT families to a, a brand that can be recognized by others, the game kind of changes and the marketing strategy changes because it's a lot less direct acquisition and a lot more brand and naming convention. Mm-hmm. And so your campaign, your branding campaign takes longer, but has a lot better return on investment in the long run because people are are then proud of having your brand as part of something that they own a piece of. Yep. And it, it comes back to that that representation, getting people in a place where they want to be and giving them the opportunity to to represent themselves, something that they they personally connect with in, in whatever way it is. We have a lot of cool stuff planned up too. We're we're excited <laughs> to do some cool in-person things. Um, there's so many conferences Outside of Web3 world, like Web2 world, there's conferences every other week, right? All over the world, all over the US. And so we're going to do a lot of cool stuff going forward for people that are members and uh, help them out to enjoy people in real life as well. 
well, for those who want to, obviously. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Um, I've been hearing uh, South by Southwest just happened a couple of weeks ago and everyone's raving about like the doodles, whatever they did there, the event. And, and it's like this in real life meetup gathering of this Web3 online community. And it's just like, we're going to see... And, and they did cool things like if you scan your NFT, you get access to this merch and whatever and, and stuff like that. And uh, you can you can show your NFT and there's someone making coffee and they'll like make a pattern of your specific... And just like cool things that merge like the real world, quote unquote, with Web3. And I think um, we're going to see so much more of that. And people want that as well, especially now the world is opening up kind of after COVID and everything. And you know, we form these online communities. It's time to, you know, again, for those who want to, connect and meet in the real world and just hang out and, and talk NFTs and, and, and meet our people, basically. Yeah, finding yeah. somebody else in real life who can you can talk Web3 with and NFT, you're like, there's, there's so many of us, it feels like, but... Yeah, then but there's also not. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like talking to somebody about crypto. Like, we start with crypto. Okay, you, you understand crypto. All right, let's talk about NFTs or Web3. And then yeah. it's either like, oh, or yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Rabbit, the rabbit hole is even deeper than that. Because then it's like, there's crypto. And then it's like, everybody knows Bitcoin. But then you also got to know Ethereum. And then yeah. once you know Ethereum, then you got to know what like DeFi is. And then maybe if you don't, <laughs> like, if you don't understand DeFi, then it's like, okay, now NFTs start to make sense. Yeah. So it's so wild. And um, there's also there's a lot of people out there that hate us. <laughs> I think we're in, we're in this bubble a lot. And it's like, hey, the NFT community is great. It's fun and memes and stuff. But you peer outside it sometimes and it's like, you know, rah, rah, rah environment, rah, 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 artificial scarcity, rah, 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 monetizing everything. And, you know, there are some valid concerns out there, some definitely not valid concerns, but, uh, there's just there's a whole world out there of people who a don't get it yet and b who get it and hate us and and it's just like which is well, great yeah it's good it's good I love it I, I was listening to some of uh, Grant Cardone's stuff the other day about marketing and he was saying that one of his goals right now is to just be known he doesn't mm. care what platform it's at but he wants his branding on point across all platforms and that means he's going to define himself and what he stands for and he will have haters and he will have mm. people that like him, but the haters just create more news and more headlines and mm. more noise. And I mean, let's think about this scenario of why that's important. At least once in your life, you've probably had the opportunity to hear somebody venting about a situation or something that they were mad about mm. or something that they didn't like. And then you might be thinking the thought in the back of your head, like actually part of that sounds kind of good. Like maybe I should yeah. go check that out later when they're, when they're done talking or when I go somewhere else. And so yeah. it, it kind of wraps around and can help us organically market. So bring on the haters. Yeah. <laughs> All publicity is good publicity, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it'll start to make more sense um, as the market, you know, matures and evolves and in, in the ways that we've sort of talked about how we've kind of reflected on how it has already and how much more mm. room there is left, left to grow and go um, for us in the space. Yeah. But I mean, like it, it comes back to the basic idea of digital assets and true like ownership and how powerful that just that one idea really is. Like mm. we see, we're seeing it being explored in a lot of ways right now. A lot of them, you know, some good, some bad, some like gross <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of, I have a lot of trust in the, in the market to eventually yeah, mature enough and grow enough that we can start getting past that. And then it doesn't become, it, it's not the standard anymore to have like this, you know, I see a lot of the gross, like, the whitelist grinding games or whatever mm. to get this, you know, the 
one thing that kind of grossed me out was the whole Stanley thing, sort of using his publicity to launch a project just for the, the people that did it to make money. And like, yeah. and it goes back to things like understanding what maybe, maybe how, like what solidity is and, and how you can maybe get in and read the code a little more. So you don't fall for these honeypot traps. Like the, the super obvious one that I have in mind right now is the Belle Delphine one where like, I, I don't know if you guys saw that. Cause it, this was one of many, right. But Belle Delphine, um, she launched a scam project at some point. A few. This was a f- couple months ago now. Um, and literally all it took was 10 seconds to go into the thread or even in the smart contract. You could have went and you could have realized that, oh, there's no functionality out here that lets you like <laughs> get your money back. You know what I mean? Like you can you can buy the token, but you actually can't mm. sell it. And so I don't know what happened. Like people saw Bell Delphine was doing something. They go to the charts. They see the numbers doing this. Mm. Why do you think that is? There's no sell pressure because there can't be any sell pressure yeah. due to like the mechanics of the smart contract. Things like that, that people, and maybe it's due to the nature of Web3 where people, you know, are, are, are afraid of missing out. A lot of things that FOMO that's so easy because of how mm-hmm. fast everything is that I think it's, it's going to come down to the market maturing and people like slowing down and just yeah. and, and getting more comfortable with what they're doing. Taking a deep breath, patience. Yeah. yeah. And just understanding more. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all just goes back to you need experience the solidity devs before, you know, spending all mm. this money on just random honeypots like this. Obviously, you, you see number go up and you see all the social media saying, oh, oh, this is, this is fantastic. When really underneath everything you're seeing, hold on, don't do this. this you should is, maybe, yeah. you should maybe question it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Don't. Throw in fifty thousand dollars quite yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we we get a lot of people that come to us and ask if they can do like internships and things like that. And obviously, we want we want to help out. Usually, at this point, we direct them to like Build Space or Web Three University. And mm-hmm. going forward in the future is is one of our the franchises, as Levi likes to call them. Um, <coughs> Our diverse with the lambdas and the lamps px we're going to have a da academy and so we have a lot of educational content a big educational branch going forward that we're going to be leaning really hard into we've we've actually had a few live cohorts so far and we've, we've received some pretty good reviews from people who've gone through those and everything from intro to nft to what is web3 you know what's a mm. wallet and we're hoping to eventually bring out some developer related content as well so that people can dip their toes in and maybe think, oh, I better go check out the Doveverse Da Academy and learn a few things. And then when they're all ship shape and ready to go, we'll say, and here's our buddies and Zeneca, go go <laughs> to Zen Academy and get yeah. some advanced mental training and get some good trading insights and market strategy and all sorts yeah. of cool stuff. Yeah. What I'd really love to do with Lambs is get it to a point where it's definitely a growing process, I think, but get it to the point where it's almost sort of just like a dev focused community. It kind of already was, but even more of that I want Mm. and get get it to like, so um, the, the, when I started it, it was pretty inspired by, I think I touched on this too, um, a different community called Boring Bananas that had Mm. a lot of those pieces already. And this was back at a time where everybody like, was like, oh, this is cool tech. Like, I want to build out my own project. And they actually had resources for this. And one of my favorite parts was how they had a couple channels just for people building together. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And I have, um, you know, 
I, I'm not sure what happened. I think I think we kind of like as a market, we sort of like started moving away from that and like moving away from the wonder of it and more towards like the okay, how can I make money from yeah. this kind of deal? Um, they eventually I, closed it down. Yeah. What I'd love to do is foster, be able to foster that again and get devs in a place where they can just talk and build together. And mm. <laughs> I can be there and read it and be like, oh, this is awesome. Witness that. Yeah. Again. That sounds awesome. I've had so many people actually reference that Boring Bananas Discord just over the last, just many months. Just yeah. so much, yeah, so much like talent has really spawned from there, which is it's cool to see. And we yeah. want to recreate that because, yeah, it was honestly, there were, so there were like the dev channels and then there were, <laughs> channels that you had access to if you had the nft mm. where it was like a more in-depth video review and it was obviously based on like the legacy style contracts at the time we want mm. to do something with the modern version of contracts and then there were just networking channels to find people in real time to help you with your idea and we want to have that home be inside of our discord again so that we can bring innovation and bring relationships. But we also want to do a better job of keeping track of it because I've met so many people that have been from Boring Bananas community and it's hard to, it would be really cool if we had a good networking list of everyone yeah. and all the projects who've actually spawned through that at some point. Yeah, that would be awesome to see. <laughs> let's um, let's talk about Last PX. Um, yeah, <laughs> when is it coming up? What is it? How many, how many NFTs? Um, how is it different from the original Lamb collection? Let's go into it. Sure. <clears throat> so um, if you read our announcements now, we're kind of targeting a tentative launch date of the last week of March. I, you know, at this time of recording, that'd technically be next week. Um, we're being a little careful about it, though, because, um, you know, it, we're sort of in this kind of unconfirmed status in the market where it's been mm. bearish for a while. And the big, um, you know, board ape movement that's happening might spur another bull, but um, we're, we're being really hesitant about it because we also know how devastating it can be to a community when you launch a collection and not mm. all the not all the cylinders do fire and it's a failed sellout. So, um, you know, I kind of see that as like we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, yeah. But what Lamb's PX are is initially. Um, the, the idea for it spawned many months ago, actually, back in um, September, October. And we wanted to, at the time, I saw the, the popularity in pixel art projects and how much people mm. love pixel art. So, um, and, and we, we, ha we had this, uh, you know, we wanted to be able to reward our holders as well um, because we've kind of been steering away from the, the token path with that project just mm. because that's not what it's about, right? So we needed a different way to um, give our holders something special. So it started there. Um, and we we started. Uh, it, it's an interesting story. We started with a a different pixel artist that. Well, no, excuse me. My CM, um, his name is Peace. He he was doing pixel art for the Lambs. And um, at first, we weren't going to have him animated. We were just going to have him be like these free pixel versions. And uh, initially, we were thinking like they just be free claims or something. Well, mm. we actually met um, an artist named what was his name. And he actually came in and he provided a bunch of feedback on the pixel stuff. We might like, have to beep out his name. And he was like, you know, you could have done this, 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 this. And I'm like, what? So I click on him and I realize, like, oh, he's done a lot of animated pixel art, like really mm. good high quality pixel art before animated. Um, so he said, yo, you want to, we want to do something special with our pixel collection. We don't want it to be just another collection. Um, what do you think about coming in and helping us animate everything? Because that's something we actually haven't seen in the whole market before. Like we've seen pixel art where a lot of these collections have some pieces animated mm. and we've 
we have seen fully animated like collections before, like Axel Littles, um, but we haven't seen it where a pixel collection has gotten like that amount of love where everything is animated. So that was kind of what we wanted to do. We wanted to be kind of in the spirit of our first collection where it was very art heavy and just like, mm. obviously a lot of love was put into it. And it's, it definitely was, um, you know, our artist worked on animating these, these, all the traits. It took him, let's see, three or four months, I think to get all the traits animated. So um, with this drop that we're doing, um, the narrative around it is it's kind of like, I, I kind of like to use the expansion lambs narrative. So when we launched lambs, um, you know, with, if you do the math, there's about 360,000 trait combinations. And we kind of noticed on day one, like a lot of people were like, you know, Oh, I didn't see this combo. And even myself, I went mm. in and I'm like, Oh, there's none of this combo. What the hell? You know? Um, so it, it was kind of sad that we didn't get to see, you know, some really cool, um, combinations. So with this collection, um, a lot of the traits are the same, but you know, this time we didn't, we didn't want to just drop more lambs like of the, of the same thing. Cause that's kind of, you know, um, probably wouldn't work very well, but with mm. this, they have the same traits. So we're able to, we're going to take the old collection and look at all the traits and make sure no dupes get generated. Mm. And therefore, you know, the collection that we generate this time, you know, different style, fully animated, same traits, but no duplicates either. So now mm. we get to see more and different um, trait combinations um, as far as use cases go, for now, um, we actually, one of the things that, you know, it, it's pretty popular with NFT projects, and I think it's it's pretty well understood too. Um, I, I like to call it the brand inoperability. And this goes back to the convo where, you know, the NFT should be second as a form of representation mm. in a primary product. Um, we're actually planning quite a few partnerships and things that we're building for our lambs to plug into as that representation, as I've talked about. So while the community itself is more for, you know, like onboarding and training and things of that nature. Um, as far as like actual things that NFT can plug into, um, we're, we're sort of like, I wanted to have it so both NFTs have a place that they can go. So there's, there's, mm. there's value for both. Um, for now, we actually, this is, this is kind of a, a story that branches off into another story. I actually got really lucky and I bought a couple NFT worlds back when they were super mm. cheap. And I've just been holding onto them this whole time. And I didn't even understand them right away either. I'm just like, oh, I like Minecraft. So I bought a couple. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they became this really big thing. And I started to do more research. And I really sort of like, like after reading about what they're all about and how they've sort of marketed themselves um, or the narration, right, is that they are an L1, layer one metaverse platform. And I really vibe with that. And I've read into what they're able to do with their gasless transactions. And mm -hmm. frankly, they, they are delivering on their metaverse promises unlike almost any other project in the market. Like mm. even, even the other big one, like Sandbox, right? I've had a lot of issues with Sandbox. Like I've tried their game and I've had um, customer service issues with them too. And, you know, not that I'm trying to bash them or anything, but mm. what I'm trying to get out is NFT Worlds has really, really impressed me. <laughs> that kind of came along and I was like, wait, hold on a second. We're making these pixel lamps reward holders. I have a couple NFT Worlds, you know, what if they, and, and the pixel art just plugs right in with Minecraft. So mm. that, that is the idea. Um, instead of doing like, you know, I mentioned before, um, a lot of projects like to take the route of making their own token. Um, well, maybe for us, it makes more sense to, okay, let our pixel amps plug in NFT worlds. And I actually have, th they have this whole system where you have to have enough world token to access the play to earn faucet for the, the, the metaverse, the world that you're in. Um, that's probably how it would work. You get a pixel amp and then you get special access within the world to, you know, if you play in that world and you have a pixel amp in your wallet, you know, mm. the game your wallet and say, okay, 
you are good to participate in the play to earn ecosystem that we have here with world token. Yeah. So that's the main use case. Um, as far as like funding, um, because I think it's good to be transparent about money, go- where money goes from a project. Mm. We wanted to, you know, from the sellout, um, the money that would be bringing in for funding, the primary places it would go would be, you know, there wouldn't be, um, I guess the easiest way to think about it is a Kickstarter, right? It would basically be the money would move from that sale to all of it would funnel right back into Asteria. Like nobody really, mm-hmm. I don't think any one person actually profits from the job. It's just to fund the team and the staff to keep everybody going with everything that we do and to keep building, you know, out of all the, you know, Silfers talks about the tree before we've got all these different fruits that we're sort of working on and getting them. They just need enough mm-hmm. love time and, and labor and, and money, right. To, mm-hmm. to get to point where they can blossom into these beautiful fruits. So that's where all of it goes. Yeah, we we want to see, you know, Levi talked earlier about how we try to look at all of this as what it is. It's a real business. It's not just mm. an NFT project for us. And so how do we provide value to our investors? And we have a lot of cool potential upcoming partnerships as well. And some of them will include physical figurines for different games or what have you from big name providers. and there's always an initial cost for production and things like that, that you have to contribute as well. So we're trying to funnel all of this right back into adding value for our holders and showing the community that we love that has gotten us to where we're at, at this point, showing them how much we care about them and how we're committed for the long term, And we want to give them opportunities to have not only like NFT worlds or, you know, beyond earth or whatever type of games we're going with, as an option, we want to give them opportunities to play with their families as well. Like my kids love the lambs. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like the lambs They're are cute. so cute. Yeah. I've got, I, I basically pulled up open sea at one point and I said, all right, guys, let's find one that you feel like really uh, grabs your attention. You know, which mm-hmm. one, which one is yours? Which one do you want? And so they each have, everybody in my family has their own lamb. And that's awesome. We'll, we'll, how how I mean, old are your kids? I've got, a range of kids. I've got seven, uh, four-year-old who's almost five and a uh, one and a half year old. And <clears throat> my wife has one picked out for herself as well. So it's, hmm. it's one of my favorite collections to gift out to family and accumulate. And I, I probably am extra bullish because I know about all of the cool stuff coming in the future, <laughs> but I just keep acquiring more yeah. uh, because Primarily, the art is just amazing. And I, I would love to honestly see like a children's book come out. You could easily do something simple. Children's mm. board book with the lambs. Or There's a lot of cool ideas. The possibilities are endless. What we really have to step back and think about is how can we provide value for our investors and what helps us build our brand that people can be proud of and want to want to participate in? Yeah, no, I love that. I think uh, yeah, it's clear that how uh, long-term minded you are with, with this and with Asteria and how, how you're funneling the money back into uh, the fruits, as you so beautifully put it. <laughs> um, Zophris, you mentioned Beyond Earth uh, just before. Uh, I have on my list here that there's a potential partnership, or there is a partnership between Beyond Earth and, and uh, is it Asteria or is it one of the... Well, technically we're starting out with the lambs. So by the lambs, time this is out, yeah. then yeah, that'll be announced. So it's something that we're excited about. It's MMORPG, think similar to like RuneScape or 
um, maybe a little bit of League of Legends. There's mm. different equipable materials you can grind and pick up um, items and things like that. And it's all customizable according to your NFT project. So they're working hand in hand with us to provide value for our lambs holders. And they'll be able to connect and seeing that they're a lamb holder, similar to NFT worlds, uh, they'll have individual perks and they can actually download a lambs character. And obviously the future with that would be, they'd be able to download their own skinned NFT. But for right now we have kind of our mascot lamb character that they can go in and be a part of. And as they're expanding out to new worlds and new partnerships, they have a lot in the works and we're excited to see what comes of that and support them right now at the, the stage that they're at. And I think the coolest part of it is just being able to connect and instantly you have a runaround game that you can go to like a PVP arena or you can go farm for assets. And they also have an in-game currency similar to NFT worlds that we'll have access to because of the partnership status that we have with them. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, are they on Ethereum mainnet as well? So initially they launched five months ago and they were doing some teasers, playing around with different networks. Right now their main system is on Polygon mm. and a lot of their tokenomics and stuff is through that as well. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. For anything gaming, it's, it is difficult to have it all on mainnet um, just because of transaction fees. Even you can, you can optimize contracts and gas as much as you want, but... If it's something that requires like hundreds, let alone thousands of transactions, it's yeah, it's just not not feasible. Especially with all of the the in-game transactions, you know, they want to have trading, they have a marketplace, so you can exactly. trade skins yeah. between different people and stuff like that. So you get yeah. to connect with your lamb L1, support Ethereum, yeah. and then you're in the game and you're not worried about like overhead of costs. And yeah. there's I, those are if it really gets out of hands, then that's something that we could look forward to. Uh, potentially sponsoring for certain people as incentives. And there's a lot of cool stuff mm. we could do going forward. Yeah. No, that's awesome. What um, I'm really excited to see is a lamb inside of any of these games on a Twitch stream. And so we're working to find kind of behind the scenes some potential streamers and and gamers that have great platforms and communities that represent what we want so that as mm. these get launched, then they can play as our lambs character and they can help spread our brand and our, our values to the world. Honestly, there's a lot of people who come in through gaming and they see the potential for NFTs in gaming, but then they fall into the, the trap of what we talked about earlier, whether they purchase something that's just a scam or they mm. don't understand that they can get services from an established company that's a lot cheaper and more affordable for them to scale up their own NFT project or whatever it may be. Yeah, now, that seems super smart. You know, uh, potentially working with a Twitch streamer to, you know, reach a new audience and show off uh, your the lambdas or uh, any any real uh, collection. All right, so we've covered Asteria, we've covered lambs, we've covered. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to dig into a little more? I think we could definitely get a little bit more into ETH aliens. We're going to have a special guest appearance soon by our ETH aliens guru. By, by the Asteria co-founder. Yeah, um, I've mentioned her a couple of times now, Pem Arbeckardi. And magically, we have Pem. Pem has arrived. Hello, Pem. Welcome. Uh, Arbeckardi, how are you doing? Hey I'm there. doing so good, thank you. How are you doing? 
We're doing well. We've been we've been kicking for a while. This is our second recording in two days. Anyway, it's good to have you here, Pam. Uh, you are the founder of ETH Aliens, co-founder of Asteria. We've spoken a lot about Asteria, but we haven't really touched on ETH Aliens. So maybe you want to like just quickly go into ha- like the the origin story of ETH Aliens, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So Ethelian launched back in October. Uh, Levi and Beef were actually on the original Ethelian team as the developers. We were really close friends since they launched their project Davos. And yeah, Ethelian was a utility-backed project, uh, super low mint price of 0.02 ETH. Since then, we've just kind of been building with obviously Levi and Beef, um, eventually to the point where we created Asteria Labs in December. Um, from that point, we released the Thalian Vox collection, which is our 10,000 voxel avatar collection for the metaverse. And honestly, it's just been a crazy ride. We're now utilizing the, the best of Asteria's developers to kind of provide value back to our holders, secure loads of partnerships and we're just, yeah, super, super bullish on the whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the Vox uh, avatars, they're so good. I love them. I I, I really do. Um, yeah, you're, you're the biggest holder, Zanika. Still? <laughs> so I, not, not that I've been selling, but I've been giving them out as like rewards or like uh, prizes to Zen Academy members. Uh, for like we have a trivia event and, and I'll throw in, I mean, that, I bought like a hundred something, but the intention was always to give them out to Zen Academy members. But yeah, I mean, I, I love them. And the honorary one that you, you showed me and sent me the other day, that's so cool, um, honestly. Yeah. But you touched on partnerships just then. What are some of the partnerships you've, you've been working on or that you can talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So the two that I can talk about right now are, first of all, our first partnership that happened with Llamaverse. So this is specifically with Asteria Labs. We gave them our tech in terms of our Asteria Asteria Rarity Bot, and access to our upcoming developments. So we're really excited to be working with them. In return, they're helping with some advice for one of the kind of things we're working on right now. As well as that, they're also providing utility to our holders by means of an alpha channel. So we get alerts there directly from NFT Llamas alpha calls, which has been super valuable to our holders, of course, because this is helping them gain more liquidity in the market. So that's been a super beneficial partnership to us. The second partnership is with Rootroop. And that one was announced, I think, just two days ago. But yeah, super excited about that one because we, again, we're giving them access to our tech in terms of like our rarity bot and upcoming developments. Uh, In return for that, they're obviously helping us with Things like their Web3 job board, which is super crucial to us because at Asteria, we like to make sure we're hiring like the best people in the space. So having access to this kind of like Web3 job board is super beneficial for us. We get to see all these like amazing developers, artists, community members come through there. And yeah, it's just super useful. So really, yeah, two really useful partnerships that are going to be very, very useful for the future of Asteria. I have so much. Like, I love both those projects, basically. Like Llama vs. NFT Llama, he's just a true builder in the space. And Rootroop, uh, they've been out for a few months now. And I think that they've just sort of been quietly building. And now they're just starting to pick up some momentum. And people are saying, oh, wow, this is really cool. This is, <laughs> they're just starting to get more attention, which um, 
I'm really, really happy to see. Yeah, yeah. With, with the focus on community that we have, uh, the partnerships that we look for are people that can give back uh, the same type of community feel, people who have strong leaders that are interested in building value for their investors and helping innovate in the space. So we were really excited when those announcements were able to come out. And that kind of takes me back to what Asteria Labs is, to me at least, is where we can help builders build. So I'm just incredibly excited about these partnerships and look forward to seeing what else we have up our sleeves. We have a really cool economy bot also that has been built out with ETH aliens. I know it's been an adventure. I don't know if Levi and Pam, how much you guys want to get into that, but I think it'd be really cool to talk about. Yeah. 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 So what an economy, but actually probably Pam is more fit to talk about this since this is actually kind of one of the first things that, um, Ethalian started off with and, and made Ethalians pretty unique was the idea that, you know, um, let people give them an avenue to which they can um, get rewards in a more guaranteed way. And let, let me rephrase this in a way that maybe makes more sense. In every server that you're in, there's always whitelist giveaways, right? Whereas with, a you know, an economy bot, it gives like this extra avenue that you let people go to the server and play your games for for an off-chain token that you can use in the server to actually directly purchase yeah. whitelist spots or Ethereum's used to do NFTs as well. So it kind of just gives this extra value to people that are, you know, in the community that um so you know, we if we go from like the standard route where it's like all random of getting a spot or a giveaway or whatever, that's kind of a more direct way. Um mm. and, and it, it's a nice, it's a nice mm-hmm. route. At that too, because it's like direct um, engagement in the community mm. as well. Yeah, exactly that. It it really does reward our active community members that are constantly utilizing our Discord. As well as that, it's actually a super useful marketing tool. So you can literally reward people with this Discord currency if they go out and, for example, like raid some tweets, etc. So like it really does kind of unite the community under like something as simple as literally Discord currency. And it sounds crazy, but it really is effective. And yeah, we've, we found that to be super successful for the project. Yeah. And if you, if you can offer something of value, right. And even if it's simple, like whitelist spots, like the, the system works. So. So how does it work? Like let's get into the specifics a bit. You've got this, uh, you, you mentioned it's like an off gate off chain currency, um, a discord currency and economy. Um, how, how do people get the tokens? Yeah. So you can get the tokens in numerous ways. For example, a member of the team can choose to gift it to you if you've completed a task or like won it in a giveaway. You can, the kind of main way to earn this token though is through yield from your NFTs. So for example, in the Ethelian server, we have it set. So if you have like one to five Ethelians, you'll get X amount of Stardust. If you have like six to 10 Ethelians, you'll get another amount of Stardust. Mm. So it's kind of tiered systems based on how many NFTs you hold, which is pretty good because it does incentivize yeah. that little bit more of holding and re- like purchasing more aliens. Um, but yeah, you can also win it through many other things like just simply playing games and stuff in the server, which can occupy people for literally hours. I checked, you know, our server logs and everything. And these were honestly our most active channels. Like they're constantly <laughs> being used, like constantly. What? It's crazy. What kind of games? So there is blackjack, roulette, slot machines, 
and horse racing as well, animal racing. Like there's so yeah. much. And the best thing is as Asteria Labs, we're kind of currently customizing our own economy, but we can continuously add and develop as many of these mini games that we can think of into mm. it. So they're really it like honestly, the potential there is unlimited. As if we can think it, we can create it. Yeah. Yep. And if the value if the value continues to be there for whitelist spots to to get mm. people incentivized to go in and play these games and earn this token, um, you know, it's it's always gonna be something we can just play with and keep doing. Um it's kind of to us, it's kind of a nice way where we can experiment with tokenomics in a way that we can't shoot ourselves mm. in the foot either. You know, we've we yeah. ran into this scenario far too many times where uh, a project launches a token, I think, and it's not, you know, actually, even if you do think it through a lot, it can still like you can launch it and it's just like, great, people sell it, get their money out. And then it's like now you've got an FT project with this extra layer of complexity that's mm-hmm. kind of like you, you're super familiar with this already, like and how how you can actually hurt yourself just by trying to, you know, you can have the best intentions in the world and it can still screw you over because of the nature of how it like, you know, how how financially yeah. incentivized the entire space is. So so that's kind of our, you know, workaround where it's the same setup. It's just we're taking we're almost taking away the option for people to convert what they've done to real money that can, you know, dump the price. And and it frankly, that's all it has to be it's all it has to be for that system. Yeah. I always say you can never, when it comes to like uh, launching a token, like an ESC20 actual on-chain token, you can never unlaunch a token. <laughs> it's something yep. you, you really want to make sure you get right um, before beforehand. Um, and so a thing you mentioned a few times is redeeming, say, the the Stardust, the off-chain token for, say, a whitelist, a mintlist spot. How do people do that? Like, is that just within yeah. Discord? Do they go to the website? Yeah, so you go to the Discord server, you go to the shop cat like channel in the Discord server, you can type the command dot shop, it pulls up an embed on Discord, which shows the variety of like whitelist items that we have for sale. You literally type the command buy item, item name, which is typically like X whitelist. Um, then you'll be prompted to open a ticket with one of our team members and they'll take you through the whole process, get your address and sort out your whitelist for you. So it's actually super streamlined and super supportive as well. That's insane. When when can we get this set up in Zen Academy? <laughs> Just say it's, the word, Zeneca, honestly. Yeah, no, no. It's yeah. funny that you bring that up because this is this is a service that we're offering as part of Asteria now. And for uh, innovators like yourself, we'd love to help you out and figure out what we can do to move forward to help your community have something like this. Yeah, 100%. I know, Pam, you've been literally offering this for like, Five months, you, 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 and I've been hearing about it. But um, honestly, let's 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 have a yeah, let's have another call. <laughs> I, I really, I think it sounds awesome, and I think it would be a value add to the community for sure. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's it's again, and it comes back to sort of like an overriding theme throughout this entire conversation, um, and through all the Twitter spaces we have. Uh, it's it's very clear how sort of innovative and cutting edge the technology that you know all all of you basically working under Asteria are working with like you're always trying to think of new ways to do things differently better and i think that's for me when I, when i come to when it comes to evaluating nft projects and what i look for the number one thing is the team number two three four five always the team i always say that but in terms of metrics for success aside from the team i think it's projects that are innovative are the ones that tend to rise to the top 
especially when it comes to like breakout and, and enormous success, it's always, you just can't really get that by copying another project. You, you're sort of hamstrung. But when you're innovative, when you do something new, when you do something different, um, that's when sky's the limit truly. And I think, um, yeah, I just, I just love chatting to people who are doing cool, new, different things. So yeah, kudos. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, like you were doing this months and months ago as well. Like we've seen a few new projects now come out with like, you know, some sort of buy mintless spots, buy yeah. some sort of token, but you were doing this mint like five months ago. Yeah, yeah, right out the bat when we launched. And the thing is like, we've been helping like our partners and stuff get this set up as well. Because I think like the whole ethos of Web3 is that we want to be sharing this tech. It's no fun if we just keep it to ourselves. So mm. yeah, I'm really keen to like help other people get set up with this and kind of spread the word that this is a really fun, cool way of actually like delivering out your whitelist. Yeah. Gas there, free. Gas free. Gas free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gas free, yeah. Is there um, other use cases for it at the moment? I mean, I'm sure you can do whatever you want, but uh, is it just people using it to get mintless spots? So yeah, you can have whitelists. You can have things like you can literally put NFTs in there. You could put like Discord Nitro. You can put Discord Rolls. Anything you can think mm. of that you want to be giving away, you can basically put in the shop and have a system kind of take over it for you. And you can get really creative with this too. Like you can make, you can add an item to the shop that's super, super expensive and make it like mm. a one of one drawing by whoever you can get to do it. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. We're, 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 we're going to get this set up. Even if you out. want, you can, you can integrate physical redeemables as well. Like if you want to purchase some merch from our upcoming merch shop, shop, hint, hint, then you can, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different things that you can do going forward with it. And we're really excited to work with you to come up with some creative avenues for it. Yeah. No, 100%. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think it all kind all of right. circles back to uh, the importance of, you know, the basics of a new person coming into the space. And these are the types of things that they should evaluate. Like you said, you said team mm. and founders and um, innovation, utility, community. And if somebody is looking to come into the space to maybe even start their own NFT project, we want to, you know, be an example of the standards. We want to raise the bar. And I know, Beef, you have some really good ideas for new people coming into the NFT space. What, what, what tips would you give for them? What are some of the pieces that they need to get started? One of the main things you're going to want to do is before even getting started is you're going to want to know exactly what makes that thing tick. Obviously, you're dealing with real money, so there, there are real consequences involved. One of the first things that I would probably recommend is learn the basics of what you should look at for a smart contract, whether that be going to a previously secure smart contract, getting a couple patterns understood, making sure all the right kind of pieces are in the same place, and then kind of comparing contrasting to this new contract and saying, okay, it doesn't look like anything's going to screw me over. Something like a, um, like, like a transfer function. There should always be a transfer function in every single smart contract that you interact with. And now if, if you see something that's kind of sketchy looking like, it's uh there's nothing between like in the contents of that function or it's it has something called super dot and it has some some sort of way of basically turning that transfer function off it's a honeypot like we were talking about earlier mm. and that's going to be something that you're always going to want to look for before investing into any project yeah that's awesome 
Um, in terms of, if someone wants to get started, like uh, understanding how to write a smart contract, for example, or it, whether they're coming from a background in, in programming already, like in Web2 or starting from zero, what would you recommend to like the, how, how do you get started? So that's actually an amazing question. I just wanted to, I want to preface and say that I am in that exact same field. I was in that exact same field. I don't come from, uh, like, I'm not a, I'm not a computer science graduate. I kind of lear- started learning programming probably a couple months before uh, we started even development on Lambdas. And kind of what I would recommend for everyone to start looking into is Solidity and blockchain is very, very reminiscent to just standard web development. So a lot of your similar programming languages are going to be very JavaScript-based. And obviously, or honestly, if you know JavaScript, it's going to help you tenfold because that's what Solidity is built on. That's what Solidity is based off of is JavaScript. So I would recommend doing something like a JavaScript boot camp from something like Udemy, Code Academy, Freed Code Camp. That's what I did, and it's going to make the entire journey way easier just if you have that base foundation kind of figured out there. The next step that you're going to want to do is we've spoke about the Boring Bananas earlier, and mm. I, can't, you know, I can't praise them enough. They were fantastic. They, they took an NFT project that, you know, it, it's so convoluted. You're only seeing this top level, and what they did is they were like, okay, well, here's the rest of it. This is what you need to know, and this is what makes everything tick. So in order to build your own uh, NFT um, collection, you're definitely going to want to check out one of those two videos. And, you know, by this time, you know, the whole NFT space has just matured, and it's been a long time, and we've got a lot of eyes on it. We've got a lot of attention. So a lot of these uh, YouTubers, a lot of these... Uh, people have decided okay let's make let's make those two videos that boring bananas made and make them way better to understand so there's way way better resources than even what levi and i started out of. Mm. so um, we actually i don't think we've actually seen that yet i mean we kind of have but they don't take you through the entire process okay. whereas boring bananas did they took you from creating all the way through what you need to do to launch it which is brilliant um, but it's like, uh, like Trevor said, the the videos actually aren't that good. Like they show you everything, but it's it, it frankly at this point they're outdated too. Um, but what they were really good at was they were able to break down everything into manageable chunks. So when we initially tackled this problem, it was kind of like we saw the final result. But it's like as you dive into it, you're like, oh, I didn't even think about this component because it involves when I when I first started um, developing all this stuff. I might actually have to send you this picture because it's hilarious. I went on Paint. And I drew it out how I thought about it in my head and how you go from art to the generation process mm. in Python that we did to generating the metadata, adding the token IDs back to the metadata, hosting the metadata in a database, hosting that database on a website, getting an API that from the website that can pull from the database and then getting the smart contract to read from that. You know, it's this whole flow chart that you got to every single component you got to get through and figure out how they connect to get it to really work. Um, and that was what the really valuable lesson was. So to, to encapsulate what I just said into what's the best place to start, um, I would say like, you know, I think this, the, the standard answer is like, and, and you know, everybody's going to be different depending on where you start. Um, but if you have absolutely no foundational programming lang- language and you're trying to get into Web3, 
I would always recommend C because that's the foundational programming language from everything else that stems from C, like basically from C. So getting a foundational understanding of how code and programming works, it comes from C. Like it's good to have that. JavaScript, because it's so common in everything across Web3. But those two things I just said are kind of vague, right? What I would actually recommend is just like pick a project and just go for it. And just look for resources to build that one project. And that's, see, going that way, going the, just the diving in, getting your hands dirty right away allows you to just like, it puts you through what you have to, the way you have to think as a, as a, as a developer, because that's how, that's how it's going to be for every project. Like when you start, you're not going to know exactly what you need to do, but if you just dive into it and, and, and um, embrace the suck, right. That's kind of like a military saying that I kind of vibe with. Yeah. You just learn so, so much. And then you can maybe, come maybe up, launch uh, it on L2 first so that you yeah. don't lose so much. Money. Yeah. <laughs> well, the testing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On Polygon. And you just go through that and you come out the other side and you learn so much. And then at that point, you know, there's this really common thing that people get stuck in. It's called tutorial hell, where mm. they go through all these tutorials and they've never built a project. And like they, you almost burn yourself out because tutorials are freaking boring. And you like, yeah, you learn the core concepts, but mm. it's like, get through it and you still don't really know anything because you never had like a project that you actually learned from you just follow yeah. instructions on a tutorial so my advice jump into something you you're interested in mm-hmm. i love it paste a contract throw it in remix see if it compiles if it compiles see what see what it does past then and start learning just keep it's, trying and don't let that yeah. an analysis paralysis destroy your future <laughs> yep yeah right you just got to get used to this whole feeling of while you're programming it's going to feel like you're walking and constantly hitting your head on something and changing direction. <laughs> you have to get used to that mentality. So that you make it sound so appealing. You have, to, <laughs> like, yeah, you have to have that mentality. Like, like you are going to run into a wall like every two yeah. seconds, but you have to have that, that bug in your head. That's like, like mm-hmm. I'm Mr. Problem solver and I don't care yeah. about the wall or the wall after it. I'm just going to keep crushing it. Really I think, programming, yeah. yeah. Programming is kind of like, walking through an invisible maze. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> oh, I like that. Entire time walking, hitting stuff. Yeah. Until you do it again, you have everything mapped in your mind. You know exactly where not to go, where to go. And you can just easily streamline it for any yeah. new programmer. They don't see anything. They don't understand anything. And obviously someone can copy and paste that. They can have the map, but what's, yeah. what, what experience do they gain from that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, I think that on the flip side, uh, we have a really cool opportunity with having Pam leading the company. I think her and Levi have have made a lot of strides towards innovation and inclusivity. And Pam, if if you could talk for a minute, what do you feel like your experience has been like as a female founder in Web3? And what are some tips that you would have for others going forward? Because I know that I personally talk about you when I talked to my daughter this morning. She was asking about starting a lemonade stand and if there's people like her at my work. And I said, yeah, you could, you can found a company. The founder of ETH Aliens in Asteria is also a woman. And she was so excited to hear that. Could you talk maybe a little bit on some of your experiences with that? That's so sweet. Yeah, of course. So I guess as a woman in Web3, I can definitely say that it's been interesting. Um, Definitely, it is a more male-dominated field, I would say. 
However, I still think that there's a lot of room for women to be onboarded into Web3. And I think it's such an exciting field that people are going to love it. They just need to find out about it and they will find out about it as time goes on. In terms of working at Asteria Labs, it's like my complete passion. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I have an amazing team with these guys and they've been nothing. They've been like so supportive of everything that we've been doing together. If I were feeling intimidated about getting started in the Web3 space and I were feeling like I wasn't included, um, whether or not I'm a woman or I represent some other way, what would you? What tips would you give to that person getting started? And how do you think they could navigate the space to find success? Yeah, so what I would do is I would honestly, you have to kind of be willing to reach out to people to learn from them as well. It's the only way to kind of really take your step forward is if you're willing to like outreach yourself and, and get to know people. So definitely connect, network, learn who everyone is. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. That's a huge thing. It, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to ask for help and it can really do a lot for you. So that's my number one advice for that. I would say like there's just so much room for growth here. So honestly, don't be afraid to do anything. It really is like unlimited potential here. Yeah, I really like the answers that you gave there because it it applies not it's not just a, a woman in web three thing. I think it's a web three in general thing, which is amazing that if people take a step back and they think there is a spot for me, regardless of you know how I represent myself or or what you know inclusivity or te- technical background or whatever it may be that I come with, there's always a spot for everyone in Web three. And if there are people who are giving you a hard time as a new person, as a woman, as a man, whatever it is, non-binary, that you all all you have to do is open your mouth, ask for help, and you'll learn something new. And there's a path for you as a founder. There's a path for you as a co-founder. There's a path for you as a developer. There's so many options as an artist, as a creator, as a builder. And I think it's really inspiring that you bring an amazing, unique perspective and help really keep us all grounded by bringing some diverse experience. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think with myself, I've I've never really thought about because yes, I am a female founder of my project. Yeah, you're just, I'm, you're just I'm like not- I'm a founder. It doesn't matter that I'm a woman. I'm a founder. Exactly, exactly that. Like it's just what I'm doing, and it's what I love to do. And for me, like that doesn't really come into like my decisions on a day to day basis. However, I am like very well aware that these unfortunate things do exist sometimes, where women are sometimes looked down upon in the workplace. And to that, I just have to say, like, it's not going to cut it in Web3. So if something like that has happened, speak out and people will be there to help you and defend you. So, yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, all right. We have, we have to wrap up in the next one or two minutes. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to quickly go on to? I think we got everything. <laughs> it's pretty say. comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you all so much. This was... An excellent discussion over a couple of days. <laughs> uh, I um, once again uh, really, really appreciate you all being here and sharing your insights. And I'm like, I'm excited for Asteria Labs. I'm excited for the the bot that we're going to get set up in Zen Academy and, and the the, the uh, off chain currency because 
it's just so cool. It's just, yeah, just one, one element of what you can do. And um, again, if anyone uh, watching or listening was interest, is interested in any of the services that Asteria could provide, go. we'll have links to everything in the description below. So you can go find the website when it's 100% out and the, the Discord and all the Twitter links to get in touch with any of the wonderful people up here. Um, otherwise, yeah. I, and I'm sure I'll have you back on as well. Like in a few months, we'll check check in and see where things are at because there was, there was a lot of like, oh, we can't quite talk about that. Or, you know, you, oh, can't say that yet. But so I, I want to dig into that when when we can. And, and when more of these things are out, I think it'll be cool, cool to have you all back. For sure. Yeah, yeah anytime. We'd love to come around. Already looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Zen Chats with Zenica. Please consider subscribing to the podcast so that you are notified of future episodes. Also, make sure to check out our YouTube channel for the video version of this episode. For even more podcasting fun, check out the other podcast I co-host, Two Board Apes. If you enjoy my content, please consider joining us at Zen Academy, a place where anyone, anywhere, at any level can learn about NFTs and Web3. All of the links are in the description below. I'll catch you next time.